Becca's going to take care of me today, aren't you? <clears throat> That's a hard act to follow. Isn't that a wonderful song? You know, think about that day when we'll stand in his presence, right, and be able to sing together with him. It's hard to imagine. Come, Lord Jesus. Come soon, but only when he's ready. There's so much work to be done. You know, I was, uh, I was kidding around with our Gen Z bench over here a little bit this morning. I said, you know, back in the old days, you know, I never thought I would be old enough to say back in the old days. You know, I tell you, it just goes like that. I mean, I st most days I still feel 16, and Ruth will probably confirm that. It's <laughs> like, so why do you do that? Why? What are you doing? Oh, but I asked them, do you know what the front pew in the church is usually referred to? Anybody know? The sinner's bench. The sinner's <laughs> but you see, that's, that's where I'm sitting. I'm with you. I'm right there with you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, speaking of the old days, um, we're going to do something completely new uh, and different this morning that's never been done in the church before. Um, I heard that. <laughs> you think I can't hear up here? I can't. So last week, just because I have no real innate creativity, I figured, well, I'll just talk about the same thing this week. They probably won't even notice it, so. I'm sorry. It's, you know, we're all in this together, right? We are one in Christ. We are part of the body, part of the kingdom, all sons and daughters of the king. It's hard to imagine. But I am going to talk about unity a little bit more today. Um, and I mentioned last week, the past few years have been terrible. I mean, we've been through so much trauma and, and chaos and isolation. And actually this morning, for those of you that didn't get up in time, in our Sunday school class, we were talking about David and why he did some of the things that he did. You know, he did great things, but he also did really awful, awful things, right? People died as a result of his poor choices. And why, well, how could he do that, right? And be the same person. And the answer to a certain extent is all of us are human and we get into that place where we feel alone, where we feel afraid, when we feel threatened, we can panic, right? And make choices that later on in life we'll regret, right? I'm definitely at the top of that list for sure. And it's been difficult these past few years, and it looks like, you know, we're still going to be dealing with a lot of these issues and problems that try to divide people for the foreseeable future. But, um, you know, it can feel to us sometimes like, God has left the building, right? But in reality, he's just as active, maybe even more so in these difficult times. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to think about this for a few minutes while we're uh, um, studying today. What have you seen God do in the past few years when everything else seems to have been going in the dumpster? What have you seen God accomplish? So at the end... We're going to do this really unique thing where people will stand up, not me, you, and 
like 15 seconds, tell us what God has done in your life in the past few years, even in the midst of all this. And it will be 15 seconds because I can get on this scooter and be back there in a flash. <laughs> so just think about that. And then I know you've never seen this done before. So we'll give it a try. All right. So I'm ready, Karen. There you go. That is my visual aid for today. I mean, it's one more slide than I had last week. So <laughs> I'm improving. So what I've done, I've got all the scripture references up there. We're going to be, we're going to start out in the book of John, and then we're going to go through a few others. I'm going to read all of these to you, but feel free um, to read along uh, in your own personal version of God's word. But we're going to go back and start where we left off last week, which is John chapter 17. You guys ready? Everybody squared away? All right. Um, pick up where we left off, talking about um, the Lord's prayer for us and his prayer to the Father on our behalf was that we would be one, uh, to have unity. So I'm going to read John 17, 22 and 23. It says, The glory you gave to me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as, I, just as you have loved me. So we talked about this as Jesus' fervent desire for us as the body of believers to experience this unity. But me, I'm um, like Wade, I'm an engineer, right? So I, I'm practical. My question then is, well, what does unity really look like? I mean, day to day, what does it really look like if we're accomplishing that? So today what I want to do is just hit a bunch of scripture that gives us a really clear picture of what that can uh, look like. Uh, but before we go there, I want to take one quick side trip because I'm allowed um, and say, if you think about it, back in the very beginning at the dawn of humanity when people were first created, what was the devil's first agenda for them, the first two human beings? In his first encounter with them, what did he try to do? He tried to break their unity with the Father and with each other. So that gives you an idea of how important this is, right? Okay, so let's take a look at some scripture to see if we can find a picture of this kind of unity. First, Let's look at the things that Jesus had just said and done just prior to this prayer. So that's probably attaches to this, and we can find some examples right there in that encounter that he had with them. Um, so first thing we're going to do is go back to chapter 13 in John and read uh, 3 through 5, where Jesus sets the stage for all of this and provides a hands-on example of what this unity looks like. And of course, this event very familiar to you, 13, John 13, 3 starts, because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel and tied it around himself. He poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. 
So here he has bodily demonstrated our relationship to one another and how we can express that unity. Very practical, right? I can understand that. I can do that. And I know in, in some churches, they still do, you know, a regular thing, you know, where they get together and wash each other's feet. Okay, let's skip ahead a little bit to uh, the bottom of John chapter 13, uh, verse 34. This is where he gives them a new commandment. Once again, you're very familiar with this, John 13, 34. I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we know, of course, that very shortly after he said these words, he was going to demonstrate to them very vividly what that meant, right? The extent to which that love must uh, go. All right, now let's jump into uh, John 15, uh, 5 through 8. This, again, was part of his conversation with them just prior to his prayer. Again, one you're familiar with, unity with the vine. And this is so important, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and are burned up. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. So this speaks to the unity of the body with the head of the body, right? Jesus, who is the head of the body, remains in unity with us, and we remain in unity with him. And this is a requirement, right, for us to accomplish what he has given us to do during our time on earth. And notice here, in both of these two um, passages, he makes a connection to this. He says that this love, you know, this fruit, this unity shows others who we are in Christ. That's one of the purposes of this. All right, you guys still with me? Okay, it's only 1136. It'll be all right. Matthew or chapter 18. So we're going to jump over to another perspective here um, where uh, Matthew records uh, Jesus' own words here. Matthew 18, verse 18 through 22. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I tell you the truth. Whenever he says that, he's basically saying, hey, are you listening, right? Are you listening? I'm telling you the truth. This is important. He says, whatever you bind on earth will have been, notice the verb tense there, will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Again, I tell you the truth. Pay attention. If two of you on earth agree about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are assembled in my name, I am there among them. Okay. Now there's... This is interesting because it ties into something I'll go to next. But So they're digesting this, and then what happens? In the next verse, Peter steps in. He's a little intimidated by what Jesus has been telling them. 
And he asked this question. He says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? Now, this is, this is a practical question. This is the kind of question I would ask. Okay, well, I'll forgive, but I mean, put a parameter on that. How many times? And then he offers a suggestion. It's not enough that he's asking Jesus. He's going to tell him what the answer is that he expects. As many as seven times, because I can deal with that. Seven times, I'll keep track in my notebook. Seven, you're done. And of course, Jesus said to him, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times. And in some translations, it's 70 times seven. Jesus' point is here, Peter, no, the count, we're not counting. You just forgive and forgive and forgive. Um, but in that prior section, Jesus emphasizes the power that is given to us through our unity in the Spirit. We bear much fruit. We bind things on earth and heaven when we are unified as a body of believers. Okay, so let's, let's uh, cut Peter a little slack here and read his take on all of this. We're going to jump over to 1 Peter 3, um, 8 and 9, where he gives his perspective. Now, recognize Peter, his letters were written after the fact, right? Several years down the road. So here's Peter now. Finally, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, compassionate, and humble. Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead bless others because you were called to inherit a blessing. Now, if you read that, you first say, well, who is this guy? Right? But here we can see this is after the delivery of the Holy Spirit, right, into their lives. Peter has been transformed, right, through the Spirit, and he has gained a new perspective, and he expresses what it looks like when we're unified, okay? Now, unsurprisingly, one other person had a lot to say about unity, and that would be Paul, who had a lot to say about everything. But I guess we need to take a look at his thoughts on this. So flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, where he talks about one body and one spirit. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another. Oh, you can scratch that out if you need to. Putting up with one another, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you two were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Amen. Here you see how he's echoing Peter with the same exact sentiment. All right, let's look at a couple more from uh, Paul's perspective. In uh, Galatians, which was a church that was struggling with a lot of trouble, one of them was division, right, in the church. He had these words for them. Uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 28, he's reminding them and us that we are all children of the same God 
co-heirs in Christ. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Democrat nor Republican. Oh, wait, I didn't read that right. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And the point here that Paul is making is pretty clear that there are no human distinctions, right? There's no, it goes beyond race. It goes beyond heritage. It goes beyond occupation, uh, wealth, none of that. Even gender, he goes so far as to say, even gender is non-existent within the unity that we have in the spirit of Christ, right? In the body, the ecclesia, all of us here today who agree, right? That we are in agreement with, well, I know I like to use the term, well, I'll save this for later. I'm allowed. All right, last one. Uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses four through five. Very common theme in Paul's writings. Uh, one body, many members, Romans 12, 4 and 5. He says, for just as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members who belong to one another. And I find that last part really interesting because it, to me, it kind of drives it home. We belong to one another, which means we have some responsibility to one another. Um, and in, in Sunday school this morning, we were kind of talking about part of the purpose of the ecclesia, part of the reason that we come together as a body. And beyond just this, you know, 45 minutes to an hour we spend in here, this oneness needs to extend to the broader part of our lives. I mean, do we have people in this body that we know and trust who know us well enough to know when we're in trouble? I mean, that's a real question. I mean, think about it. Who here knows you well enough that they could come up to you and say, man, it seems like you're struggling. What can I do to help? Now, if, if you have trouble answering that question, that's a problem because that means you don't have the unity that you need to be part of this body in an active and productive and cared for way. These are the people who are going to take care of you in this life. You need to know them and they need to. And for men, we talked about this, Wade brought it up. It's a little more difficult for men to open ourselves up enough to one another to where you know, you can come to me and say, hey, and I don't just shut you down. That's not easy for guys, but you know what? We can do it. We can do it, and we should do it. We need to do it. We're commanded to do it. No matter who you are, how young or old or gender, we need to be part of a unified body that is pursuing God's will as best we can as human beings. So I'm going to conclude. Hopefully, this has drawn a picture of what it looks like in your personal life, day to day, how your life should look like to be part and parcel of this thing that we call the body of Christ. 
We're to be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. Now, I'd say that's a pretty high bar, right? That's our goal, and we're not going to achieve it all the time for sure, but it's there. The paramount objective that Jesus mentions a couple of times here is of this unity is so that the world will know that there's a reason for hope, that there's a love that goes beyond what the world calls love, and that through that, that they are drawn into this body and feel loved and supported and welcomed, and through that, they become uh, Jesus followers and uh, adopt a, a saving relationship with uh, his son. Okay, so what does it look like? First of all, we're servants of each other. We're to serve each other in all sorts of different ways because as Paul said, we all have different skills, talents, ages, capabilities, strengths, weaknesses, but we can all serve somebody. We love as Jesus loves, even to death. Even to death. We bear fruit. We bear fruit in our lives. Fruit that is for the benefit of ourselves and the benefit of those around us. And this unity will bring power for us to impact the world around us. We're not just spectators, right, in all of this. We are called to possess power that changes the world around us. This unity brings harmony, sympathy, affection, compassion, and humbleness. And in it, we all have the same hope, the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism, the same God and Father. And this unity transcends all human distinctions. It's beyond all of that, age, race, gender, class, weakness, strength. It's beyond all of that and above all of that. And in it, we belong to each other. Scary as that might be. Don't think of specific names now. We belong to each other. All right, now I've given you some time to think. And now I'd like to hear from two or three folks who can tell me something in the past few years when it has been so dark and so desperate and so divided. I'd just like to hear two or three sentences about what God has done in your life or in the lives of those around you. Who's going to be first? I know you got to exercise an old muscle here. Great, go ahead. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Who else? 
Speak up. Oh, that's a wonderful, wonderful example. Fits so well with the message today. I'll give you 10 bucks later. <laughs> that's perfect. All right. One or two more. We've got plenty of time. It's 10 till. Speak up. I will try to speak okay. up. Thank you. Project. Good. I can hear you. sat around the kitchen table and talked about all these various issues that we've had and uh, we're working our way through them and we're together and you talk about unity that's what my wife and I've got and we've got a deeper unity than we've ever had before that's wonderful thank you so much for sharing that in fact that you know the Bible speaks about several different kinds of unity you know, the unity of the body of believers, but it also talks about the unity uh, in relationship, right, between husbands and wives in particular. That's a great example. Anyone else? We've got plenty of time. All right, well, I'll throw mine in. Okay, and then I'll let you go here. Go ahead and run, Ken. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, uh, God does the unexpected in our family and in our individual lives, and that's the confirmation that we know it's Him. Uh, he does what I can't do for myself, and it's happened time and time again over the last couple of years. He's brought individual healing in our family uh, emotionally, and He's bringing our family together in unity. And things honestly I just never thought he could do it just seemed overwhelming and uh, that's it thank you thank you for sharing that it's so encouraging so you get kind of the theme here right God is at work regardless of what may be going on in the world um, I'll offer my own quickly um, I have an older sister she's 10 years older than me and uh, I don't get to see her very much because she lives in Washington State. Um, she was raised in a Baptist, strong Baptist home, but left, walked away from that when she left home. And uh, those are the folks that are oftentimes most difficult, you know, to have a conversation with. And, uh, but she's been open, and I've talked to her, you know, for 30 years. And uh, I'm the only person in my family who's saved. 
And so I tread very carefully, but we manage to get along okay because we don't get in each other's faces, you know, with our differing beliefs. But I had a chance to talk to her. She came out from Washington um, and spent a couple of weeks. And we were just talking, and she was bringing up the things that you expect to, you know, people in that position to uh, remember, you know, the hypocrisy that she encountered in church and how she wasn't treated right. And in the world, you see people saying these things, calling themselves Christians, and look what they do. You've all heard that, I'm sure. And part of our little, this was a really brief conversation. Part of the things I said was, it's really better to look at it as from the perspective of following Jesus, right? A Jesus follower, that carries some responsibility. To say you're a Christian today doesn't mean much in the world, or it means it has even a bad, you know, uh, implication. But to say that you're a Jesus follower is a lot more straightforward. It's a lot simple, and it's also measurable. And she said, well, you know what? I never thought about it that way. I'm going to have to think about that. And I have to say that one statement is the first time she has ever indicated any openness to reevaluating her position in Christ. And I just praise God for that. And it was in the midst of all of this chaos and trauma. All right. It's five till, so I'm going to wrap up. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Or we just pray that everything that was said and done today will bring you glory, that uh, the words of truth will be filtered through the Spirit in our heart. Help show us how to be, each of us individually, unified with this family, this body of believers. Let us live it in our lives every day in a way that strengthens us and shows your love to the world around us so that others might be drawn to you uh, through this uh, unity that we express in our lives. Thank you that we can meet together in peace and safety and comfort and open the word of life. Pray that it will settle in our heart and change how we live our lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen.